Well, you may have noticed that this is going to be a little more casual than uh, you know what we normally do on a Sunday morning, but, but we told you that in advance. We even said that you could wear your pajamas, and I've noticed how many of you decided not to do that. Uh, and that's probably because you go, I don't want to wear my pajamas. I don't want people to see me in my pajamas. But you know, it's kind of a traditional thing. A lot of churches wind up doing that uh, this time of year. How many of you uh, thought that this Christmas was the best Christmas ever? Okay, so one. Yeah, that's usually the kind of response you would get for that because, you know, for a lot of people, Christmas actually turns out to be a time of intense work. And it doesn't become really, uh, you know, a holiday because there's so much preparation that goes into it. And then there's the preparing of meals, too. And, uh, and by the time you clean up after everything, you just kind of lay back the head and go, oh, goodness. Maybe it's done. And so what happens on the Sunday after Christmas? Not a lot of people show up for church. That's what happens because people are just plain tired. So as you probably know, we offered uh, cinnamon rolls this morning and, and some apple cider. I hope you were able to get that when you uh, came in this morning. But the other thing that happens on the Sunday uh, right after Christmas is that most pastors don't want to preach. And so they, they kind of call it Associate Pastor Sunday. And, uh, but I'm, I'm actually not a pastor, I'm not ordained, uh, but I certainly have uh, preached, uh, so to speak, in this church uh, several times over the years, and so I just volunteered. I said, you know, I'd be willing to do that rather than us just not have a service on this uh, Sunday morning. So uh, with that in mind, thank you for coming. And I, I trust that you're going to be blessed, uh, not so much by my words, but what God has to say to us this morning. Let's go ahead and kind of begin this time in prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming, not just the first time. Thank you in advance for what's ahead. We're grateful that on your first arrival, there were miracles seen in the moment that people could know that Almighty God was at work. And if we just look around us on a daily basis, we can still see that Almighty God is at work. We ask that our hearts would be attentive to your word, that our lives would be restructured according to your priorities. And we ask that you bless us in this time together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the other thing that I said would happen today, uh, for those of you that read the newsletter, is that probably it's going to be a little shorter service today. And the good news of that is that you get to go on and do the things you want to do. The bad news is if you go out to eat at restaurants at 11, you might have to sit in the parking lot and wait for them to open, but uh, we're going to be out a little bit uh, earlier today. The title of my message today is Many Happy Returns. Now you're probably familiar with that phrase. It's a greeting that has been used uh, for many years, most often around uh, birthdays, but it's also uh, been used in history when people say Merry Christmas. Others might say, oh, many happy returns. Also, Happy New Year. Many happy returns. All Lang Syne is a little bit of a greeting like that uh, as well. In fact, we can trace it, uh, active use, the active use of this phrase, back to the 18th century. And uh, the very first usage of many happy returns that we can find was actually uh, for a wedding. I thought that was kind of interesting. Now remember, it is the celebration of a day. Not like we hope you come back to the altar several more times over the years. Not like that. But the ancient Romans, they said also, had a way of greeting one another, especially to a man on his birthday, with that rather celebratory way of speaking. Many happy returns. Well, today we're going to talk about that. 
happy returns, or maybe some that uh, aren't so happy. So I hope, by the way, you do have either a bulletin, or if you will look in front of you, I believe you're going to see a sheet that we're going to need you to fill in some blanks here in just a moment. There's also pens nearby, so if you didn't get a bulletin, look for a sheet that's nearby you, and it'll have three questions on it. We're going to get to that coming up here in just a moment. So when I use the phrase, many happy returns, let's talk about the most obvious one. Uh, later today, uh, in fact, it's probably already started, if you go to stores like Walmart and Target and just about Kohl's, any place like that, you are going to find lots of shoppers. But a lot of them aren't buying anything new. What are they doing? They are returning things, things that didn't fit right. They were the wrong color. Or frankly, things people just don't like or things people just don't need. And that's pretty common. Every year after Christmas, that's what we see. And that's why stores have made manifest these what they call gift receipts. So you can put them in. They don't have an amount, dollar amount, but then somebody can take the gift receipt in with the item and exchange it for something that they uh, do want. Now, as it turns out, I have a few things here in my bag this morning. You notice that it's a Chicago Bears bag. The Bears are playing today, and these are things that are no longer wanted by me, or they weren't wanted in the first place, but I'm willing to give them away today. Now, depending on your level of embarrassment, you can come up and claim any one of these. The first uh, one of these is, for example, this is from Club Room. This is a golf ball case. It holds your, not only your golf balls, but it's got a ball marker and two tees. So if anybody here was a golfer, I'm just going to put it on the floor here. And if you want that, don't feel embarrassed. You can just come up here and take it. Oh, look what I have here. I have a Bath and Body Works bag. And inside is something I don't want, which is a thing to make your house smell better. You plug this in, and then you have like the little plug-in you can get. And I don't know, this one was $6.95. I think I got it free because I bought other things there. I don't want it. But if somebody else does, I'm just going to put it over here. You can come up and claim it. Now, if you're really embarrassed during the service to do this, uh, you can come up after the service, and I'll keep my eye on you. Now, this is a real gem here. This is a uh, Hawaii, I, I don't know what this is. Is this candles or something like that? But uh, this certainly deserves in the white elephant category for somebody. And if you're going to a white elephant gift party, you need this. And you don't have to be embarrassed. You can just come up and take it from me. Uh, as I said, it fell into the category of unwanted uh, gifts. Oh, and then we have this also. This is really nice, actually. Uh, I went down a couple of times this past year to WBGL, and uh, Jonathan, who's the morning host there, uh, was an intern of mine when I worked on Moody Radio. And so he, once in a while he calls me and says, come on down and hang out with me for a couple hours on the program. And then when I do that, he usually gives me something and says, we appreciate you more than we can say. Well, actually, you can just say thank you, and that would be sufficient. But anyway, I, I think this is a water bottle, isn't it? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's one of those, and it's it like, you know, metal? Yeah, could be worth several dollars to somebody. It's free. I don't want it. So if, if you want it, I'm just going to put it up here. I see nobody's rushing the stage to take advantage of my free items. Uh, and then this, this here was a real gem. I don't know where I got this. What? Where did I get it? Did you give it to me? No, but you don't want me to give it away? Okay, hold on here, let me figure. Oh yeah, let's hope your sister isn't watching. I gotta, 
it, it worked earlier. I might have to have my wife uh, figure this thing out. Come on now. I know it worked earlier, Rondo. Can you uh, help me out here for just a moment? You could just uh, show because it, it actually does wonderful things. This is the kind of tie you'd never wear in public. But at Christmas, you actually might wear it. There's the right there. Okay. And then last but not least, I have this wonderful insulated Chicago Bears grocery bag, which would be perfect to keep your sodas cold or something, or butter or milk or something. I don't, I don't want any of that stuff. There, there, no, show, the, show them what it is here. Huh? Oh, you already did. Okay, very good. So you can see that this, but now you can't shut it off. It might be going the whole time we're up here. So uh, in any case, uh, don't rush the stage all at once, but you can have any of these uh, things. But like I said, they're not things that I want anymore. But that is the way that Christmas sometimes works. We hope we get what we want. We don't always get what we want. And a lot of times, unfortunately, people complain with what they get. We had, uh, we have had something that uh, came up in our family uh, this year. And uh, it turns out to be something that our grandson got from us. And we had received the list from the parents. These are things that Drew would like. And so we got him one of those things. And, you know, it was a few dollars and a few more than we normally might spend. But in any case, he wanted it. It was really something he wanted. And so he opened it at our home on Christmas Eve, and he looked at it and said, you got me this last year. Well, we didn't. Somebody else must have given that gift to him. And so what did we do? Well, she's going back to, uh, over to Kohl's and going to the Amazon box and dropping it off there. And then it's one of those unhappy returns until he gets something that he really wants. All right, so why don't you take out the sheets if you can find them. And there's uh, three questions on there. And uh, just uh, take your hand out uh, and take a look at those questions. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to write down the answer to each question. So here's the first one. What did you get for Christmas this year of real value? What did you get for Christmas this year of real value? You have 30 seconds to fill out your sheet. I'll be patient. Boy, that Christmas tie is still sitting there that somebody may want. I don't know. And if you've got that done, let's go on to sec the second one. Uh, what did you give to someone this Christmas that was most appreciated? And you should have been able to tell, right? People would look at you and they'd tell you, show you, oh, I really wanted this. And then the third question. So did your Christmas spending require you to pay later? Now anybody should know what I'm saying here, right? I mean, did you actually go into debt or have to use... Did you spend more than you should have for Christmas? So those are the three questions. We're going to come back to this here in, uh, in just uh, a little bit. But I really hope that not a lot of you did have uh, returns. Is there anybody here that, that does have to go back and return anything? Or are you all okay? Oh, good, good. So the stores won't be too uh, busy when you go to Kohl's to drop that off. Okay, there's another type of return that can also um, reveal a gift that has been offered to us and given and it's unwanted, or at least people show that it's somewhat unwanted. 
we've seen a rise in four categories of people related to the faith within the past, I don't know, few decades. Well, one of them goes back farther than that. The four are prodigal, exvangelical, deconstruction, and deconversion. Now, I think just about anybody here knows what a prodigal is. We have the story of the prodigal son. I'm not going to go through that whole story, but, but most of you know the basics of it. Uh, a young man uh, is in right, inherited the right to a fair amount of money. His uh, dad, he says, Dad, I want my money now. And he runs off and spends it foolishly, wildly, and then uh, winds up broke. And the only thing he can do to get food is to eat the same food that the pigs are eating. He comes to his senses. That's what the Bible says. He comes to his senses. And he returns home. And his father, rather than condemning him, welcomes him openly. His brother, eh, not so gracious. But the prodigal son. And his father, I thought you were gone forever. You're lost. But you're home, my son. It's a wonderful story. Some of you in this room know about a prodigal. Maybe you've been one yourself in life. You've strayed from the faith, or you know someone who has, and you pray for them earnestly. I've known parents who just grieve over their children who have strayed from the faith. The prodigal. Exvangelicals is a relatively new term. Most people are familiar with evangelicals. This would be considered an evangelical church. We are focused on the gospel. We want to advance the gospel by having others go out and share their faith, lead others to Christ, invite them to Christ. But in the, in the stream of what's happened in our society over recent years, there's a, there's a whole number of factors that contribute to this, but even in the strongest evangelical churches, there are people that the politics of life have gotten in the way. And so many of them have said, well, you know, I'm not going to call myself an evangelical anymore. And so they sometimes leave their church. And more recently, that term has been expanded that they've even left the faith. Then there's the deconstructions. And the deconstruction mindset is, uh, that, that's the category that oftentimes today is described as nuns. Now, I'm not, of course, talking about the Catholic nuns. I'm talking about that large category of people that don't even identify with any particular group, organized group of spiritual thought. It's like they're looking for their, eh, that's not right, eh, that's not right. And, and so they've sort of taken apart the foundations of their belief system and say, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not buying into that anymore. And then there's the last one, which is deconversion. Won't spend a lot of time on this, but there's been a, a significant number of people who were perceived as very strong, committed Christian leaders. I'll only mention one by name, just for time's sake, uh, Joshua Harris. Some of you in this room uh, may know him. His father was a well-known homeschooler and uh, homeschool speaker and so forth. And uh, Joshua, as he grew up and into his teen years, uh, was not dating. And he actually wrote a book in his early 20s called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Something that he has now renounced. But he went on and, and studied uh, theology and became a pastor of a church and an influential conservative evangelical church for a period of time. And within the past several years, Joshua Harris 
divorced his wife, and left Christianity. Just abandoned the faith. In other words, the gift that was given was insufficient for him, at least as he could understand it. What do we hope for in these circumstances? I'll tell you what we hope for. We hope that people will return, even within the the ex-evangelicals, if, there, if there's broken relationships, if, if the church has lost people and we, we're not talking to each other, we need to return. Our hearts need to return to love one another in a deeper way that we would not allow churches to be broken up like this. It sets a terrible example for the world. Well, and then there's another kind of return, a third kind. It's the one that hopefully we're all waiting for. It's the return of Christ. Our scripture for today is Matthew 24, 36 through 51. I believe it will appear on the screen for you. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in, given in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let the house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. In other words, when he returns. Truly I say to you, he will set them over all of his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, Oh, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour that he does not know, and will cut him in pieces, and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know who said this, right? Jesus said this. He said those words not long before his crucifixion. Those last words to me are particularly troubling. I would hope they would be to anybody. Imagine what his hearers thought at the time that Jesus said this. That there would be cut into pieces. We, we know that when the Lord returns, there is going to be a division. We will be separated. Sheep, goats, there's going to be a separation. And Jesus is instructing us today to start preparing, to be prepared for his return. And if we're not prepared for his return, consequences await us. David Jeremiah offers us uh, five things about the return of Jesus. Let me touch on them quickly. Jesus' return is featured prominently in Scripture. In fact, this would be a surprise to many people. There's more, there are more biblical references to Jesus' second coming than his first coming by a factor of eight to one. 
There are 1,845 references to his second coming found in 17 Old Testament books and 23 of the 27 New Testament books. Jesus himself referred to his second coming 21 times. Jesus, the location of his return, is also known in Zechariah 14.4. On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You don't think there's going to be drama on the day that Jesus returns? And how about this? The witnesses of Christ's return. Item number three. In Revelation 1 verse 7 we read, Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. All the nations of the world will see him. I know if you, like me, at least when I was a kid, thought, Oh, come on. How is that going to happen? How can all the nations of the world see him? Certainly no one in this room should be mystified by that anymore. We've got amazing technology where everything can be seen around the world. It's going to be quite a day. Then we have the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And fifth, one day God will make everything right. Revelation 19.15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Oh yes, we see God as a loving God, and that he is. God is love. There's also a component of God's character that will not tolerate the sinfulness of man. And we read about this in his wrath. Then in Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5, Here's the promise that many people wait for. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all, all things new. Friends, we have a reason for the hope that lies within us. And we have these truths to hold on to about the return of Jesus. So what should our readiness look like? Quickly, consider these seven ways. First, we are to live in the light of his first coming. We just celebrated it yesterday. The beauty and the awareness of what came to us in the person of Jesus is a truth that we should hold on to and celebrate the light. We, sing, we talk about the light coming at Christmas time and joy to the earth. We should celebrate that. We have to be discerning in this age especially, who amongst us cannot see the deceptions that go on in our world. Third, accept the uncertainties. It isn't fun to live in a world where you just, nothing seems stable at times. It is a world like that in which we live until the Lord returns. Fourth, don't lose hope. It's the word that helps you thrive on a daily basis. Hope. Never let it go out. Fifth, encourage one another. That's what we do here as part of the fellowship. Coming to church faithfully is a way that we can encourage one another. Sixth, live as if today, today, was the day that the Lord Jesus would return. And seventh, keep on doing the work that Jesus left us to do. 
Now, as far as those first questions that I asked you this morning, what did you get for Christmas this year of real value? Well, let me just answer what, this way for you. At the first Christmas, we were given the greatest gift possible. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible, indescribable gift. It says in 2 Corinthians 9.15, You've already received the greatest gift you could ever receive. What did you give to someone this Christmas that was most appreciated? Well, you know, a lot of the, the gifts that we can give don't even have to be physical gifts. Uh, many of you have read uh, Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages, words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, acts of service, and yes, sometimes it is gifts. But the best gifts are really those things where you really understood what a person needed or most appreciated. That's how you can connect to people deeply. Did your Christmas spending require you to pay later? You know, the only real debt we have in life, the only real debt you can't pay. It's what Christ has already done for you. In Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. It's the greatest gift you could ever receive and you didn't even have to pay for it. And it's a debt you cannot repay. Praise be to God. As 2021 comes to an end, may your days ahead be found with many happy returns, the kind that will result from a closer walk in following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, it is an inexpressible gift that you've given to us. And our hearts do get filled with sorrow when we see one who has heard about the gift, perhaps has even reached out to receive the gift, and then somehow, for some reason, has found it inadequate. It can even be mind-boggling to us. And yet, before we drift too far into that, we should realize that many times in our own lives, we fail to show you appreciation for the gift, even on a daily basis, thanking you for your provisions to all of us and for the greatest gift, thanking, thanking you for our parents, grandparents, people of faith who preceded us and given us the truth and shared it with us. We thank you also for the children you've entrusted to us. Help us to share with them the greatest gift of all, so that one day we can celebrate together at your return. We praise you for this season, and we ask that we're prepared for your return. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for bringing these people here today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.